0: Baruch Ta Donai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakar Banu Mikol HaMim Venatan Lanua Torato Baruch donai Adonai Noltein HaTorah bab Hashem Adonai Welcome to um, the three week series that I, I guess I'm going to be doing with the help of Hashem I just am so... Uh, Inundated with uh, information right now That I just felt like I probably should share this Because there's a lot of information So first and foremost I'm still encouraging everyone To make the most of these three weeks Because what we are doing with the help of Hashem Is overturning the evil decree So since I've already said that Why don't I go ahead and share that information with you This is from the Wisdom of the Hebrew Months about um, the month of Tammuz. Because the month of Tammuz is a very hard month. Uh, This is the beginning of the summer. Well, I mean, it's been started already, but, you know, we're like in it. So this is from page 326 in that uh, Sefer. It says, this takes us back to B'nai Yissachar's teaching. That the name combination Which is the name of Hashem Because the name of Hashem Permutates You can rearrange Hashem's name 12 different ways Again This is why we can't pronounce the divine name (laughs) Because which one are you going to do And how are you going to do all 12 of them All at once Because you know You just know Because it's all supernatural That it has to be That all 12 Arrangements of Hashem's name Is pronounced all at once when we pronounce the divine name, which only happened on Yom Kippur at the height of the service. And then not only that, but only the Kohen Haggadol spoke it via the Shekinah. So if you just do a simple Yom Kippur study about pronouncing the divine name, you'll see how that all happens. There was even one source that myself and Hasis came across that we talked, we uh, read about how the Kohen Gadol was actually swallowing as the Shekinah spoke out through his mouth, the divine name. So not only that, but, you know, the normal way you see the divine name uh, with the vowel points in any of your tanakim or your humashim or anything like that if you ever come across it it never has the appropriate vowel points and this is a mesoretic text thing and there are so many different things you can get into actually the amazing chazan has some awesome information on that if you would if you're really interested so for those of us who are learning hebrew if we ever come across oh my goodness i want to pronounce the divine name if we ever feel so tempted there's just not a way we can do it even if we think we know the vowel points and even if we think we can pronounce it and furthermore while we're on it there are no w's in hebrew and there are no j's so yeah just think about that with the, the at least two of the main different ways that the divine name is quote-unquote said to be pronounced. But anyway, back to this month here. It says the combination for Tammuz represents strict justice. Now, by the way, this is good for us because strict justice is our patriarch, Yitzhak, who is the Akedah which he's the first Akira, Mashiach Yeshua is the final Akira. So you think about that with the, the beauty of speaking the braka for the Akira, which you find in your morning blessing section right before you get to the offerings. And it's interesting to note how the Siddur is set up that the Akira is the offering before the offerings. And of course, if you listen to the Aliyah Day, you'll learn about how the Akida anointed and sanctified not only the mountain, but sanctified all the other offerings, so that the other offerings are different facets of the Akida. This is why understanding with Mashiach Yeshua's Akedah, with his binding, his sacrifice on the crucifixion stake, that all the offerings are facets of that. And his offering is even pointing us back to the Akira. Because he originally was the Akira anyway. Because he is the ram that was supernatural that was offered on the Temple Mount instead of Yitzhak. But it was accredited to Yitzhak because he willingly laid his life down. And he, and according to the parable as spoken in Hebrews, he actually did die. His soul ascended up to to the heavenly throne, and Hashem told him to go back. (laughs) And then if you read Mayam Loez and Legends of the Jews, you learn that Yitzhak was actually carried away into Gan Eden. And that's why he did not depart with his father, as his father went to 'er Beersheba, which, after he got to 'er Beersheba, speaking of Abraham, that Chaye Sarah happens, which is the death of Sarah, so... Chaye, Sarah, obviously is the life of Sarah. But in Chaye, Sarah, that Torah portion is where Sarah dies. So, when you really think about the Akida and the merit that we have there, that we are actually in an opportunity and a position for sweetening the judgment. Because the Kabbalistic mentality is that if you want to... um, Basically, if you want to take the judgment and you want to sweeten it, you want to overturn it, you have to have something that is from that same line of, of uh, flow, if you will, because all of the stuff he wrote that talk about, you know, kindness and justice and mercy, uh, wisdom, uh, knowledge, you got beauty, you got uh, victory, glory. And things like that, like all these different sefirot, they're attributes of Hashem and they're actually filters of his light because Hashem is spirit. Right. And so the spirit is what actually brings forth illumination, like literally brings forth light. And so you have Hashem who is. Brings his light down into creation. And the only way that we experience any uh, illumination is it comes through the Sefi road. So it flows through each of those little bubbles until it gets down to Malkut. This is why Yeshua said, seek first the Malkut, the kingdom of heaven. Because when you do that, you're seeking the righteousness of Hashem and everything else is added to you. Because Malkut is king like that. That is the synthesis of everything that comes from the supernal heavens down into this world. So if you are going to the spout, so to speak, of the divine flow when you're seeking first the kingdom. And so Malkut is going to spread out all throughout this world and all through our creation. So therefore, if you want to worship the sun, you're only worshiping a fragment of Hashem. If you want to worship the moon or if you want to worship other gods or deities or anything like that. Those are all offshoots from Malkut, which you got to go back to Malkut to get it all in the right perspective. So, you know, it's kind of like when you grab all of your things that have been scattered out all over the table or if you dropped books or stuff and they fell on the floor, it's just like if you went just to one particular item, you're missing all of your stuff. And if you just picked up one item out of what you dropped, then... That's the equivalent of idolatry, you know, as far as the analogy here of not seeking first the kingdom. So you must seek first the kingdom because that's the only way to get a a tangible full picture of who Hashem is. And this is why he's given us his Torah. And he's brought down, you know, himself and given it to us so that we can actually have a picture. You know, he can we can see the image of the invisible. Yes, Shaul wrote about that To the congregation in Colossae So, back to the wisdom of the months It says, because it reverses the spelling of Hashem's name So when you spell Hashem's name backwards Mercy is turned into justice Because Hashem's name spelled the way we normally see it The Yod and He with the Vavin He Straightforward That is Hashem's act aspect and attribute of mercy so he has compassion upon us it's unlimited favor it's grace if you will but if you reverse that it's judgment and that's what we're under in tammuz so what that immediately says is that we have a responsibility because guess what If you are under strict justice, Hashem is bringing that forth to like push us and to hopefully reveal within us deeper powers and deeper gifts and deeper talents and and just deeper uh, things that are hidden beneath our surface where we need to grow spiritually so that they can be revealed. Like, that's why, you know, you can look at any time that he decreed things like harsh judgments Or what have you, like, say, for instance, Yonah, go to Nineveh, tell them I'm going to destroy them if they do not make Teshuvah. Now, Hashem is going to destroy Nineveh, right? And if they make Teshuvah, he won't do it. So there's that. So, like, if you're if you're experiencing just just hard times and challenges, it's just like, what can I do to reverse it? What, where is my teshuva that I am missing? This is why these three weeks and taking time to make true shuva is so awesome. You know, not listening to music and uh, not getting your hair cut and, and things like that, especially guarding our tongues. Oh my goodness. You know, like this is giving us so much more time to focus and have some self introspection. You know, and really, uh, since we're in the Diaspora, we have, which is the the area outside of Israel, the dispersion, if you will, uh, we are focused on Parsha Pincus. But in Israel, Eretz Yisrael, they are focused on Matot. And Parsha Matot is throwing it down. Talking about oats and vows, talking about going to war against Midian, and really, like, you know, bringing in the final redemption. I find it very interesting that at this point in time in our year, that our Torah portions are really encouraging us to bring the redemption, to speed it up, to do everything within our ability to make sure that we're doing our part and bringing the redemption. And as myself and Zolan actually read, uh, on my previous night here on podcasting, that we were in Nehemiah and, and reading that sephir. And, you know, when it came to his mission, Nehemiah, he and a whole bunch of other B'nai Yisrael got together and each person did their part to rebuild the walls of Yerushalayim. And they had challenges and as Zolan so beautifully pointed out, that these, these challenges were baseless hatred, i.e. San, ballot, and tovaya. And then they kept adding people to their circle. But these are the main two people, just kind of like Dathan and Aviram to Moshe. And, you know, as he was saying that baseless hatred drop, I was like, man, no, you didn't. But check out what else is in there. You got San... Tavul, Tov, Ya. Yes, Sam Ballad and Tavaya, if you read their names in Hebrew, you got that breakdown. And sun, from commentary on Parsha Hukat, is actually the word for sin, which is snake venom, snake poison. Like if you get bit by a serpent and you're poisoned, it's called sun and son was like you know we can't have that be the word for sin because people are just going to automatically know i don't want to do that i remember getting bit by the snake cuz i ate from the tree and i don't want to i don't want to remember that so it'll be way too easy for us to not sin because we'll remember but if you do the atbash of son sonic noon if you do the atbash gematria You know, for every olive there's a tav. For every bet there's a there's a sheen. And so the Hebrew you spell it, spell olive bet gimel dalet all the way to tav, and then draw a line underneath that. And then starting under the tav, go from left to right, olive bet gimel dalet all the way to tav. And the letters on the bottom are the atbash of the letters on the top. So you exchange. All of those letters for each other. And so when you look at Samek and Noon, they actually interchange for chet and tet, which is sin. And so when you look at all of that, if you take San to the rest of Sen ballot, his his the last letters, you have Bet Lamed Tet which obviously there's the word lev in there which is kind of cool so you have a, a nine heart lev nine you have the nine heart the 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 number nine is all about what are you going to do you know, it's, it's likened to a pregnancy and a birth and, and like a potential for bringing forth something and revealing something. And actually, Hasis and I talked about this in Geula talk. So you can look go back to that for all the nine talk. But what, what, what's, what's your heart going to reveal? You know, what are you going to do with your heart when it comes to sun? You know, and if you spell son backwards, it becomes ness, which is miracle. So, literally, you have a miracle waiting in your heart, depending on if you're going to connect it to Tobiah's name, Tov, which is Tov, Yah, which is Tobiah. So, are you going to connect your heart to Tov, and are you going to connect your heart to Yah, Hashem? But Yah is also acronym for Yeshua HaMashiach. So Yeshua HaMashiach, who is called good. And remember, Yeshua says, why do you call me good? There's none good but Hashem. But then if you read the Mishlei, the Proverbs, the commentary says the Torah is called Tov. It's actually called Lakak Tov, which is a good teaching. And it's like, so if we're talking about Yeshua Mashiach, we're talking about Hashem, and we're talking about the Torah all being tov, and we can take the basis hatred, overturn it, into freeing our hearts from sin and turning towards Hashem, you know, the the secret to victory is actually hidden in our challenges. This is why the word for uh, troubles and uh, tribulation, which is zorot, is actually the word zohar which is window so Zora and zohar Zorot is the plural of uh, Zora which is trial or tribulation troubles challenges things that press you in so there's always something there you know so we have to look and this is why it's cool to actually understand why when mashiach was crucified that we can't just glorify his his body on the tree it's like no this image is very very painful but what we actually are looking at is what's inside of this just like a mezuzah on the doorpost it's not about the mezuzah the mezuzah is beautiful you know and People can do a great job of positioning it, mounting it on the door, great craftsmanship. But guess what? If there's nothing inside your mezuzah, i.e. a a kosher Torah scroll, ask me how I know about this. Because I just had to deal with this this past weekend. But Baruch Hashem, it's all fixed now. Come on so yeah it's what's inside because if you don't have a kosher scroll inside your mezuzah then your mezuzah is of null and value you gotta have a kosher scroll in there you gotta have literally the word of god written on flesh and it's got to be kosherly written it can't be printed it can't be you know fake paper can't have letters crossed out and also the name of Hashem, the Shaddai or the Sheen, needs to literally be on the back of the parchment that's in there. And on this parchment, it needs to have the Shema, like the two paragraphs. You can't just be all like, oh, it's kind of the Shema, like maybe, you know, as the amazing Chazan was telling me that he was checking through scrolls one time and found out there was a word missing. And uh, that's Lotov in, in the Hebrew world. So, well, it should be Lotov in the believing world, but that's a different topic. Anyway, so don't take away a, a word of Hashem, much less a letter of Hashem. So, what's inside of what Mashiach portrayed as he was like miraculously suspended on this tree? Because this is actually connected to the serpent that was on a pole from Parshat Hukad. Because the only way the serpent was able to remain in the air for people to be able to see it, to look towards Hashem, was because Hashem held it up. And this is why Yeshua didn't come down when people were telling him to. Because had he wanted to, he wouldn't have. Because his will is so submitted to Hashem. But at the same time, he's supernaturally held up there. Because there is no way to kill the word of God. There is no way to destroy it. But yet he allowed himself to be up there. He allowed himself to be broken, just like the sapphire tablets. There really was no way to break them. You realize the sapphire tablets is the same thing that Moshe's staff was made out of. And when Moshe threw down his staff, it turned into a serpent. So like it didn't break. So like, what is that? So he can throw down his staff but he can't throw down the sapphire tablets i mean they're made from the same thing so it's just kind of like where, where are we doing here so they only broke because they were supposed to and mashiach only bled because he was supposed to and remember when the sapphire tablets which were broken just like mashiach's body those are one and the same the broken tablets the broken body of mashiach put them next to each other they are a mirror reflection when the tablets were broken, the only letters that remained on the tablets were Sheen, Bet, Tav, which is Shabbat. If you also rearrange those letters, you get Tashuv, Tav, Sheen, Bet, which is return, make Tashuvah, repent. The broken body of Mashiach Yeshua is for the Shabbat, It's for repenting. So therefore, if you place your trust In Mashiach And you have entered into him Through his death And be raised anew Through his resurrection It's through the Shabbat Through the Shabbat we experience a death and a resurrection We go through the Arab Shabbat Into the morning Into the afternoon And then into the evening Where we light the Havdala candles And that's a full cycle Of being immersed into Mashiach's death And actually being raised with him to life because when he died, it was the beginning of Shabbat, like right before they got his body in the grave, obviously, because his gra- his body was buried, wrapped in a linen, just like we do our challah loaf, and put in a tomb before candle lighting. So, in other words, when you're lighting your candles, you are aligning yourself with the time when Mashiach Yeshua was buried. So now... You're burying yourself. You're taking upon yourself the death of Mashiach Yeshua to enter into the Shabbat. Which is his body being broken for you. And then this is why we're eating the hollow loaf that's broken for us. And we're, drink, we're drinking the Hagafin, which is like the blood that was spilled. You know, and all that. And then what happens? At the conclusion of Shabbat, there is a multi-wick candle That represents the two stones, the two Mashiachs, if you will, that Hashem gave to Adam. Um, This is from Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer. I know I've been just kind of conglomerating sources since I've started this podcast, but, you know, like, Bruke Hashem. So uh, if you have, by the way, if you ever have any questions, where did you source out so-and-so? There is actually a, a feature of a voice message. That you can click on the link if you're on a different app other than Anchor. And if you're on Anchor, you can hit message. And you can send me a message and I can send you a source. Or, however you want to do it. Because I also have email address too, if you want to do it that way. And for those of you who know me in person, you can just ask me. Anyway, so Hashem gave Adam these two stones and he struck them together. And that's where... The Bracha for the Borei Morei Ha'esh, who brings forth the illuminations of fire, came from, who crea- creates slika? who creates the illuminations of fire. And so when Mashiach was resurrected, this is at the, that same time where Adam was actually getting kicked out of the garden and it was dark and he needed the fire of Hashem, which could only be provided by the two Mashiachs, the two stones, if you will, to take him out into the night, only to return after being brought back in by Hashem, which Mashiach, when he rose from the grave, it would have been at this time. Now he himself being the multi candle, the two stones. Being Mashiach bin Yosef, Mashiach bin David, you know, and himself being the light. He is the illuminations of fire. And, by the way, he is the one who created the fire because fire was created from him. You know, so there's all that. And so to really just kind of think about these things as far as what is the inner meaning? What's really inside of what we're doing? You know, this is why one who does not uh, walk in observance to Torah is lacking. You know, it's like having a wonderful cake that's missing sugar. You know, having Torah observance actually sweetens your faith. It sweetens your trust and your assurance, your blessed assurance, that is. Because we know that, you know, Yeshua HaMashiach is the Mashiach and we're waiting for Him. Hashem, please send Him. Where is he? We're looking and we're ready for the temple. But if we're not walking in his ways, then what good is that really doing us to just have a belief? Because even the demons do that and they're really afraid. And so it's just kind of like we can't just be comfortable with just believing. And I want to shout out to Isha Shamui, a.k.a. The Invisible Woman, our Avenger. This is... uh, Ishpeyla's Kala. So she had a beautiful word that my Havivi shared with me. Uh, Pela, he shared with me that, you know, in Luke chapter 17, where Yeshua is talking about the final redemption, where we're being gathered in, that we have to remember not to look back. And specifically, he brings up. Uh, different examples, but one of them he brings up is Lot's wife. Don't look back. And so Isha Shamu'i, her words were, you know, we have to make sure that we don't have our heart connected to anything in this exile. And what a beautiful opportunity. Three weeks. Hashem is giving us three weeks to really take our heart, put it on the table, and examine it look at it, pray we had a fast day on the 17th of Tammuz, well the 18th of Tammuz because 17th of Tammuz was Shabbat and you know, we didn't have anything to do because you know, technically we couldn't Torah study but we could, because if it involved 17th of Tammuz, then you know, you could do that and there was lots of davening the sleek out and all the different insights on that And so you have this whole time to where we can say, you know what? I thought life as I know it. I thought I was really just needing to focus and struggle to try to make this work, try to get my dream job, try to get my dream house, you know, raise a a wonderful family generation after generation and have my best life now. And it's like. Well, that doesn't mean you don't need to do any of these things. But what we do need to be doing and the main focus as we do these things is praying for the redemption. That we don't need to be in exile. And if we're in exile too long, that's really bad. Because remember what happened to, you know, the people who never came back from Babylon? You know, they assimilated. And, you know, now we're in the Roman Roman exile, hence why Christianity is like the main thing, and Rome, Catholicism, because that's where it all comes from, all comes from Rome, doesn't come from Jerusalem. so which home are you a part of? That's the question that we all have to ask ourselves cool thing is, is Yerushalayim that home is open to anyone whosoever wants to enter, and if anyone tries to keep you from entering, then you might want to punch them in the mouth seriously, because you're supposed to take the kingdom by force, I'm just saying it's not nice, but it's also not nice for someone to keep you in a position that is damaging to your soul like eternal damnation and such and uh, yeah, so if it comes down to something like that then that is worth fighting for i don't know about you so don't let, don't let anyone tell you, you can't be jewish because if that's the case then i don't know what all jews have ever done like ever because avraham is the first jew and Abraham wasn't born jewish he didn't have a jewish mother and he didn't come from a jewish bloodline and if we really want to talk about it he grew up in the epitome of a non-jewish household so let's just di- let's just let that deal with us right there okay so don't let anybody hold you away from torah don't let anybody hold you away from observance conversion you know and believing in yeshua is not a, a discreditor or a disqualifier for being converted there is nothing in conversion that says well you can convert if you can do dot 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 and don't do dot 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 dot, dot believe in yeshua there there literally is not a halakha like that so if anyone has ever been like well if you believe in yeshua you can't convert well, the correct statement should be, if you believe in Yeshua, we don't want to convert you. And if that statement is ever uttered, then you might want to have some soul searching go on from the person who speaks these words. So, yeah, that's uh that's all I have to say on that, because I'm going to get back to Tammuz and we're turning mourning into joy. So let's be joyful, shall we? So anyway, I. Um, It says that the spelling of Hashem's name that stands for his attribute of mercy is when you spell it forward. Like if you have, like we said, the name as we know it, Hashem. And then it says, um, it is true that strict justice is dominant in this month. But, okay, here's where everything changes. Three little letters. But... We can overcome it. Now, overcome is a big word. It means that it's going to be, it's going to take some effort. That's what that means, ultimately. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take some, I'm not sure about this. Is anybody else going to do this with me? That type of thing. That's what overcome usually implies, insinuates, and infers. The Aliyah day for Parsha Pincus from Rabbi Griffin, Captain Yisrael, get you some on the first and second readings. Just listen to that podcast and really respond to that call. You know, he he dropped some major uh, inspiration, you know, on the three weeks at the end of that podcast before its conclusion. So I encourage everyone to really check out the Aliyah Day from Rabbi Griffin. And, uh, man, just, wow. We we must overcome, and we shall, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We will overcome. All right? Let's do it. We're not Avengers and superheroes for nothing, so let's put our powers to work. Oh, yeah, in the words of Tony Stark from Avengers Age of Ultron, all right, Avengers, let's work for a living. <laughs> so, Yeah. It's time for us to do that. Got three weeks and let's let's make it happen. Uh, Although jealousy, desire, and honor are usually extremely harmful traits, the power of intellectual vision, which is closely related to Tammuz, the the name of the month that we're in. So the power of intellectual vision, i.e. Tammuz, can turn them around and make them instruments of spirituality. Seeking honor is destructive. Rendering honor is positive. Even the character traits that remove a man from this world can be used constructively. The negative name combination, quote unquote, of Tammuz need not be absolute It is meant, this is why, this is why Hashem's name is spelled backwards. Why? Why is it spelled backwards? Right here, this statement. It is meant to spur people to change themselves and thereby change strict justice into pure mercy. So yeah, that's what needs to happen. Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. So our rabbi exhorted us, encouraged us, and really just inspired us. Pray for three things. Pray for Saginaw, Texas. And as as he said that, I immediately thought of Galilee. So may Saginaw, Texas be like Galilee is to Jerusalem. I mean. Because you know Galilee is where Yeshua came from and where he kinda hung out. So just saying when people say can anything good come from galilee they're already saying jews and saginaw what's in saginaw there's nothing in saginaw to which my reply is we got avengers we got get you sums we got Sar Shalom. we got lapid headquarters just saying saginaw texas it's where is it all right so last step to Jerusalem. Or last stop to Jerusalem, Shall I say May it be so King on home There's a, a, a really cool passage And actually in uh, Hebrews That I really want to share with us Because myself and um, Mazel We were talking about this On one Erev That um, The whole outside the camp thing And we must go to Yeshua Outside the camp and all this kind of stuff, which is just par shahukat talk. It's just saying, go to where the ashes of the red heifer are being prepared because understanding our role as believers in Yeshua, we're exactly like Ephraim and Menashe in the household of their father Yosef in Egypt when the whole entire world is coming to receive food from the famine, including the brothers of Yaakov, or the brothers of Yosef. And so when you think about Ephraim and Menashe, they were the servants for the meal that Yosef was serving to his brothers. His brothers were eating with him and they didn't even know. This is why trying to get Jews to believe in Yeshua, even if you call him by the right name, it's not, I mean, it's not until Yeshua reveals himself, i.e. when Hashem says, Ani Yosef, Ani Hashem Like, you know, like I am he Just like Yosef did Yosef said, Ani Yosef, and the brothers Finally realized who he was But until then, they were eating with him They were drinking with him, they were reclining with him They were fellowshipping with him This is what our Quote-unquote Because I don't know how uh, Our non-believing Yehudim that are orthodox Observant today they're, They're feasting with Yeshua Like, they're just getting all caught up and turned up, like, in good ways. Like, the whole thing about, no, you believe in JC and all that kind of semantical stuff. Okay, forget it. They're getting into the Torah. They're getting into the Mishnah. They're getting into the Midrash and the the Halakha and all sorts of stuff. That is a get you some pool or mikveh of Yeshua. Like, if Yeshua is the word made flesh, then what are they eating? Think about this. They're eating the word of Hashem. Which that word becomes flesh in Yeshua. So, leave Orthodox Jews alone if they are not like responding to your, oh man, I wish you would just be a believer. And by the way, what is that? It's like, oh, well, I wish you just believe in Yeshua or as it's commonly cited, I wish you would just believe in Jesus. And it's just like, wow. What is going to change from me believing in him as opposed to me being an imitation of him? Like, I'm supposed to be an imitator of Hashem, right? So, like, if I'm imitating Hashem, and yet you're asking me if i believe in this guy jc why what is the distance there like i got to really think about this you know like not that i really need to think about it but i'm just saying one would need to really think about that statement that question first of all what is the what is the preface to that question like what are you really trying to get at you know and then it's just kind of like It makes it seem like if I believed in J.C. that that would make me not Torah observant, which for all facts stated, that's really what it means, because most people who believe in J.C. don't even know what Shabbat is, much less Sabbath. Which, again, Shabbat is a name of Hashem. And so it's kind of like you don't even know Hashem. Because that's his name. And then you don't even know Yeshua HaMashiach because that's his name. But that's cool because we've seen this before with Yosef, who was known as Zaphonat Paneach, Because that's what everybody called him in Egypt. Because they're just like, Yosef, like, that's too hard. I don't know. I can't do it. I can't. That's That's weird. It's like Hebrew and we speak Egyptian. And so, like, that's not our language. And we just feel like we need to be over here. So Zefanapanek, that's that's great. We like that. We like that, even though it sounds kind of Jewish. I mean, it's kind of Jewish. I mean, it has, you you know, you can go into the Hebrew on that a little bit. You know, of course, it's it's right. You know, right. But the thing is, is I'm in a conversation today with some of the Avengers, like Doctor Sakal and Ish Pela, to be exact, on a little text thread here. And Doctor Sakal is going to town. On all these different sources and references, clearing the name of Yeshua in the Talmud, because so many people say the Talmud speaks evil about Yeshua, da 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 da. But when you really study these different excerpts, just about all of them are Yeshuas from Nazareth that are in different time periods, i.e. A few hundred years before the temple was destroyed, like the second temple, the Roman temple, because we all understand the temple was in existence during Yeshua's time. So, uh, you know, and the temple was destroyed about 37 years, if that 37 to 40, for sure, uh, years after him. And so, therefore, if you have a Yeshua character That exists a few hundred years before the destruction of the temple. That's not Yeshua. Like Yeshua HaMashiach. Then some of these other Yeshua's are like people who are looking at women. And Yeshua said if you lust after a woman you've committed adultery already. So what's that? Um, And these Yeshua's existed, you know... 70 years after the destruction, a few hundred years after the destruction. So you really got to know your time period of which Yeshua is being talked about. You can't just go, oh, I see his name. It's like, well, I'm so glad you're recognizing his name, but please don't change the true Yeshua for a false Yeshua. You know, he, he did say many, many have already gone out in my name. So I mean, I'm just saying, so we got to be careful with that. So anyway, I was talking about Hebrews here. So let me just go ahead and go there. Uh, I believe it is Hebrews chapter 13. Yep. All right. So I'm gonna pick up in verse 11. You ready for the sacrifices whose blood is brought into the Holy of Holies by the Kohen Gadol as a atonement for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Yehoshua, Yeshua, Mashiach, Yeshua, also that he might make the people renewed or holy, holy covenant people through his own blood. So therefore, he might make the holy covenant people through his own blood. He suffered outside the gate. So. Just in these two verses, we're looking at Yom Kippur. We're also looking at the ashes of the red heifer because it's burned outside the camp. And then we're also looking at Yeshua being, quote unquote, burned outside the camp, i.e. sacrificed. And then it says, so then let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the reproach of Mashiach Yeshua, for we do not have a lasting holy city but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer up sacrifices of thanksgiving to Hashem, continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanksgiving to his name. See Zechariah chapter 6, 11 through 12, and Zechariah 3, verse 8. And so, look at this. We're offering up sacrifices, even though Yeshua has been offered up. And then not only are we offering up sacrifices, but we're literally offering up sacrifices by him, pun intended, like in his name. And then we're also next to him, which is outside the camp because we're in exile. And so we're still making sacrifices in exile because anytime we say Baruch Hashem or anytime we say Baruch Atah Adonai, that's called a sacrifice. This is why we're called living sacrifices. Because our whole lives are devoted, they should be anyway, to Hashem. We have to be all in to serve Hashem. You can't half sacrifice these animals because that would break a Torah commandment that says, don't tear a limb from a living animal. We don't want to do that. That is not right. Okay. So let either the whole animal has to be burned up on the altar. Like not the whole thing burned up. Like as far as like. You can do a whole burnt offering, or you can do a fellowship offering or something like that. But you can't just go, well, I kind of killed the animal. I I mean, I kind of slaughtered the animal. And some of it's still alive, and some of it's not. So, yeah. So anyway, um, that's us. And then we're bearing the reproach because sometimes, you know, you tell people you're Jewish and they get all excited and then they find out you believe in Yeshua and then they get less excited and they find out you are part of Sar Shalom and then they get real unexcited. So, what do you do with that? You're just like, oh, okay. I'm bearing the reproach of Mashiach Yeshua. That's totally fine. This is the children of Israel asking the king of Edom to pass through his land, the king of Ammon to pass through his land. We're just trying to go home and everybody's trying to fight us and it's just like, well, that might not be a good idea and again, in Sefer, Nehemiah they just wanted to build a wall but everybody wanted to fight him as we head towards the Olam Haba this comes directly from the Gula Summit uh, that has been going on uh, it, it's such a beautiful thing, if you can look that up if you're interested but it was three weeks right before these three weeks that there were rabbis and teachers just going all to town with Torah and stuff. And so in that summit, they were mentioning that when the Olam starts, that all evil and wickedness will be cut off. Basically like the Elenu, right? What we pray in the Elenu. So any evil entity is like basically not going to be able to exist. And so you have people who are being nourished by that and they don't want to like not ever not be nourished. It's just kind of like, you know, I'm so used to going to this place and getting all what I need to get. You know, like, for instance, I love Gatorade, so I'm going to go and get my fix of Gatorade. And it's just like I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. Imagine one day if you were getting your fix of Gatorade and you went and there was no more Gatorade. It's just like, well, and we're done. And it's just kind of like, what? You know, so when evil is cut off like that, like the Alam Haba starting, only goodness will be able to be sustained. No more evil. And when you really, really think about the Alam Haba, why are we not wanting it yesterday? I mean, good night. Like, not even for selfish reasons, but for the simple fact that there will be no more evil and wickedness in the world. That. Is worth fighting for. I don't know about you, but I know about me, and that is worth fighting for. You know, not that I'm like a all like happy go lucky head in the clouds kind of, kind of person, but I mean, it will be nice to be happy go lucky with my head in the clouds. However, I will fight for it to happen. And so, you know, Hashem help us all. This is why we have these three weeks. And then right after that, with the help of Hashem, we have the 40 days. And so this is just such an incredible time for us. And I just really want to be so encouraging. So to finish out this insight right here, it says, Netsivos, which would be netivot, uh, if you are Sephardi. vos shalom, cited above. Again, this is in the wisdom of the, the months, the Hebrew months. It says cited above. Taught that the damage caused by jealousy, desire, and honor can be repaired by using the offending organ properly. So, Torah study repairs the damage done through honor. Service of Hashem cures the ills of desire. Kindness. Notice it's Torah, Avodah, Chesed. Torah, prayer, and acts of kindness. Just saying. Those repair the damages. And it says kindness is an antidote to jealousy. Accordingly, we may suggest that an additional way to cure the damage wrought by these traits is to use these very same traits in a spiritual manner. Then we can hope to turn the strict justice associated with Tammuz into heavenly mercy. Please do so. Please Let's do more Torah study. Let's do more prayer. Let's do more acts of kindness. Let's make people be like, why are you so nice to me? Let's just be, let's just get that going. Let's just, let's make that our goal. Shall we? Okay. You I mean, Captain Israel already called us out on becoming like Pincus and doing what nobody else is doing and bring redemption and stop the plague among the people and save the world. Be a Avenger, a a Avenger, you know, bring some hover to the world. And, you know, one of the things that I want to personally share while I'm already on my soapbox, just washing the place down. um, I was thinking about being a light. And one of the things for me is I have been kind of sheltering myself when it comes to the music and I was just kind of like, man, Hashem gave me this talent, this gift. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to use it because I don't know where it fits. And I don't know where to do it and how to do it. And three three weeks out of the year, you know, I'm, I'm like not in business. And it's just kind of like, and I'd rather, I'd rather podcast, honestly. I'd rather look up all these sources and get them compiled. So when people have questions, we got answers. So... Literally, I was thinking about just, okay, so what would this look like? What if I, if I did my talent and my gifting, what would it look like? So I wrote it out. I wrote out a vision plan. And honestly, I, I fell into the same pitfall that um, the children of Israel fell into in Parsha Matot. Literally in the uh, the Kehert overview, it talks about how in Parsha Matot that uh, they look back on how the incident at Bel Paor happened, where, you know, it was the reverse of the spies. Like when the spies went into the land, they were like, no, we can't leave the clouds of glory. And then the incident of Bel Paor, they were like, yes, we can leave the clouds of glory. We're going to go out and change the world. And yet they ended up. Going to pagan festivals and celebrating and eating their food and serving their gods and getting into sort all sorts of sexual immorality. Well, not that I went and got all that far. I did not go to parties and drink and get all crazy and stuff. But what I did do is lose sight of the fact that that's not what that means. Like, in other words, if I want to go and be a light to the world, I can't go and be like. Okay, so let's uh, let's figure out a way to not be like a spiritual rapper, but rap spiritually, if that makes any sense. And what I thought was really cool that actually ended up being a wake up call for me was there was a song that I wrote called Light Show. And I took the the premise of like, you know, disco lights and, you know, everybody being on stage and all the bling and all the jewelry, all the fancy cars and stuff. And I took all of that and made that a metaphor for how we are supposed to be in Torah. Like this is how our heart should shine. You know, this is how our words and our character should shine. You know, the true. The true picture of what these material items represent is actually what Hashem is calling us to do. Our gift should shine brighter than any spotlight. You know, our our heart should be bigger than any stage. Think about that. Our heart, our heart for God and our heart for the world should be bigger than any stage that a performer could ever take. You know, bigger than any show that anybody could ever do. The, the words of Torah that we should have engraved on our hearts should be more priceless than the most expensive jewelry that we could ever adorn ourselves with. So anyway, I took that kind of premise and I, I, I ran with it and I wrote... Uh, for all intents and purposes, I wrote a really nice verse. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was, it was really cool. And I'm like, Hashem, seriously, this is awesome! Played it for my co workers and all sorts of stuff. People who are not even Jewish and they got it because it wasn't like all Hebrewed out and tore it out and stuff, as far as like blatant Peshat. You know, I did a Remez song, if you will, very illusionary. So that happened and it was awesome. So, um, the conviction happened, though, with the the setting in of the three weeks where it's just kind of like, that was really creative, Amit. That was awesome. But you are Shomer, man. <laughs> you are not to put your light under a bushel like that. That wasn't a complete bushel, but that was a little bushel. Because what does it truly mean to put your light out there? think about this because everybody else who's not jewish they're putting their light out there who they are they are just that you know i'm i was watching different things before the three weeks started where there are songwriters who uh showcase their songs and and do the things that they are you know they they pour out their heart and they perform it in things and it's just kind of one of these things where it's just like they don't hide who they are they it's like okay, if they proclaim themselves as a Christian believer, then they thats what they are. If they are just a, you know, a charitable person, then that's what they show. If they're just an emotional storytelling type person, that's what they show. But what about for us, as Yehudim who are called? Trust me on this. We are called to bring and hasten the final redemption. That's why. That's why we're praying. For the coming of Mashiach. That's literally why. Like, it wasn't by happenstance that Rabbi Griffin said that we need to pray for Saginaw. And we need to pray for Mikvah Shalua. And we need to pray for the coming of Mashiach. No, that is our responsibility. That's why we're called a torch. You need a torch to light up a path. And when it's dark, to make sure their path can be seen. You gotta have one. So... I was just kind of like, wow, so I need to be a Torah-observant Jew that raps. Now, what does a Torah-observant Jew rap about? Uh, I learned this in the Parsha, you know, and this is what I'm going to share. You know, I almost started rapping, and it's just like, no music, no compiling lyrics, okay? Just, Just three weeks now. Morning for the temple. If you get a temple, you can get back to doing that, and you'll never have to do this again. So... What's wrong with you? It's like, okay, everybody, new temple on three, one, two, three, new temple, final temple, bring Yeshua, like just start going crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, so I mean, I wanted to say that to transition to say this, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket? That would burn the house down, by the way. Instead, they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in Hashemite. So that's the thing. It's just kind of like, what if I truly went out there with just straight dot music? And just, you know, lit it up. Like, what? How would that go over? I don't know. Right? So, obviously, I've done that in the past with a few mixtapes. But, you know, really launching out, like, you know, going for it. And to kind of summarize this whole talk so far, I've been kind of going on and on about me because... I want to encourage you, because just like it is for music, rap and dance and everything with me, so it is for you. You're probably an artist. You're probably some kind of crazy engineer, like builder, inventor or something. You're probably some type of amazing cook, or you're probably some type of amazing painter. Some skilled master electrician, some amazing athletic ability type person. Like, I don't know. But whatever it is, you're called to take that light and go change the world with it. Go do whatever it is you do, but bring the Torah, like bring the light, bring all of it. Your observance. So, so I'm a rapper, right? So, like, for 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 example, I'm a rapper. So obviously, I'm not gonna be doing concerts on Arab Shabbat to get paid for them. You know. Now it's probably different if if the shul is gonna be open and we're gonna sing some songs and things like that. And it's like, okay, drop a rap in there, you know, because we do not say Ishmael or something like that. But as far as putting on a concert and doing a tour and traveling the world, like no, it's Shabbat, and no, it's Yom Tov, okay, so that that type of stuff. And when it comes time to oh, the food's catered, was well, it kosher? Okay, well I got my own. Thank you so much for thinking about me. But it, yeah, you know, and it's morning time. Oh yeah, shakarit. Here's my tefillin. It's just like I want to be over here backstage for a second. I'm gonna be davening shakarit, and then I'll be back for sound check you know like that that's it that's how you change the world I mean it's simple it's it's crazy but it's simple right <laughs> so anyway maybe we all be encouraged to do that maybe we all just do our part because that's what it takes to bring the final redemption everybody has to do their part so I talked about this thing where you know we have our 22 days right because when you really look at the three weeks, it's actually 22 days instead of 21. So from the 17th of Tammuz, you go all the way actually into the 10th of Av. Because everything really kind of carries over until the middle of the 10th of Av. So that's really our 22nd day. Now, we were fasting and this is what happened. So... Here's what I said. Okay, so I just realized that there are five events on the 17th of Tammuz and five events on the 10th or on the 9th of Av. So when we look at these five events, it's like the two tablets of 10 words. Because you take the five and the five, okay? You make them, you know, like the tablets has five commandments on one and five on the other and it's actually written on both sides right so this is your 17th of Tamuz tablet and this is your tissue tablet and there are five and five put them together they're ten remember the tablets are actually two but they're called lukot and the singular and when you look at this There's a whole drop on this in Ketisa. So you can go back to Ketisa and get really the full download about the tablets and look up the word Lukot. That's where you'll find freedom written on the tablets. You know, so anyone who studies Torah, they're truly experiencing freedom. Anyone who observes Torah is walking in freedom. So anyway, so I'm looking at that. So I'm like, okay, so we got two tablets, the Tammuz and the Tisha B'Av. So we got the 10 words. So these events are 10 words, these five and five, you know, the breaking of the tablets and the burning of the Torah scroll, the golden calf and all that, you know, all these different things on the Tammuz. And then you got the destructions of the both temples. You got the war, war, you got all sorts of things going on there, right? So we know that they're, they're culminating five different things. So when you put five and five together, that's 10. So you got your 10 words of creation. Like the 10 words that spoke creation into being. Now these correspond to the 10 commandments. Okay. Because again, with the giving of the 10 commandments, there was like this whole thing about creation being renewed and all that. So... The, the whole thing of what happened at Mount Sinai is just absolutely ridiculous. Just Parsha Yitro, all sorts of Midrash, go. You know, right? Okay, so I said, so we're in between a new creation of two days that are bookends. So these two days, if you put them together, they represent the new creation, and then you got the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av. Well, 17 plus 9 is 26, which is the divine name. Okay, the Gematria. And then it says, so what we're actually doing with these 22 days is we're unifying the divine name, the Yodin Hey, with the and He, through the 22, which is the Aleph Tav, the 22 letters of the Aleph Bet. So I was just thinking about that and I was just kind of like, well, well, th- th- that's it. There you go. So then I'm just kind of like, all right, so we've got olive, you know, so that was that was Shabbat. That was 17th of Tammuz actually. And on olive, I learned about the Pesach and the Pesach is what unified the nation. This is coming from the Jewish wisdom in the number. This is what it says. This offering consisted of a lamb up to one year old, not older, eaten in one group. It's roasted meat unified it into one piece. No bone was allowed to be broken from the Corbin Pesach to fracture its oneness. In truth, the original Corbin Pesach was a landmark point of Israel's national formation in the Exodus. In this respect, it attests to God's oneness by the Jews forever turning their backs on Egyptian, i.e. the world's idolatry. Because Egypt represented the world. So any anything idolatrous like ever. If you're a partaker of the Corbin Pesach, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's not Jewish, I'm not doing it. Basically. Like, as far as uh, pagan things go. Again, 4th of July, not pagan. Memorial Day, not pagan. You're honoring fallen soldiers. Like, that's not pagan. That's respect. But anyway. So, that was the Aleph. Which, the Aleph is the the ox, you know, if you look at the letter and the paleo. And so Aleph, the unifier, one, oneness. Bait, this is the day I got to uh, inadvertently get a new mezuzah scroll and check my mezuzah and all sorts of stuff. And I thought about the bait. Because if you don't have a bait, you don't have anything. So you you can partake of the like lamb, that's fine. But if you don't go in the house, you can't even like enjoy the lamb. Because you can get the lamb all prepared and ready to roast. But if you don't have a house to roast and eat it in, then that's, that's not good. So I was like, okay, so the bait. And the most important thing about the bait is that Hashem is in it. And that Hashem is the guardian of your doorposts. And so I was like, okay, so that's my one. That's my two. Okay. So my three was gimel. So gimel was all about the Torah and the mitzvot and uh, from the letters of light uh, this drop on Gimel here let me go to it Um, was looking at that earlier so standby still learning how to work this thing okay here we go cool All right. Gimel. Are we not doing Gimel? Okay, well, anyway, Gimel was this whole uh, drop on a threefold Torah to a threefold people in the third month. So, Sivan being the third month on the Hebrew calendar, given to Kohanim, Leviim, and Yisraelites. And there was this beautiful story about uh, Aristotle that uh, he had his uh, student that he was teaching. You know what? I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. So, let me go back to it. Again, this is Letters of Light. Uh, This is Raskin. And uh, let's see here. So let me do the Aristotle story. And then I want to go back to something that was really cool. So it says there is a story told of Aristotle's student Alexander the Great, who one day entered his master's home unannounced to his astonishment. Alexander found Aristotle engaged in immoral behavior later. When they were alone, Alexander asked, Is this the way the great Aristotle, the philosopher, the teacher, the mentor, is this the way of the great Aristotle? says, Is this proper ethical behavior? Aristotle responded, When I teach you philosophy and the wonders of the world, I am Aristotle. But here, in private, I am not Aristotle. And then they go into talking about Rabbi Akiva and how he was uh, the same in public and private to be a contrast. So what does that have to do with Gimel, right? Well, right before that, it says Rabbi Yehuda Lo, the Maharal of Prague, explains that the power of the number three is the ability to combine two contrasting forces to bring about integration. What does this mean? Let's say a person is born into the world of Torah. He grows up in a cloistered society. He finally goes to yeshiva or he goes to yeshiva all his life and he, all he knows is God. Finally, this person gets married, slika, and goes out into the mundane world and begins to earn a living. He says, hey, there's a materialistic world out there. There are things besides godliness, besides spirituality. Maybe there are, in fact, two realities. That's red flag. The first reality is God. There is a second reality, the world. And these realities contradict each other. Therefore, Torah is given in the third month because three has the power to merge godliness and with the mundane world. For example, our sages state, if there is no bread, there is no Torah. Ethics of our fathers, 317. God expects us to make a living in order to support our loved ones and give charity. And by conducting our worldly affairs, according to Torah, with honesty and integrity, we are actually finding God in the physical world. Making a living in order to support our loved ones and give charity. Conducting our worldly affairs according to Torah. Again, if a Shakari, you're taking time for that to happen. You're eating kosher if things are catered. You know, like... You're bringing forth, you know, worldly affairs according to Torah. With honesty and integrity. That was gimel. So now... I am up to Dalit with the help of Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for Dalit. Dalit from the letters of the light says, this is the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The numerical value is four and it has a D sound. Okay. The meaning of Dalit is poor, like a poor person, door, like an entry point, and lift up. And what I love about the third definition of lift up, Yeshua says, If I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. So if you Dalit the Dalit, if you lift up the Dalit, just saying. So going down here to the Gematra, it says, Dalit is four, represents the matriarchs. Well, Yeshua. The Dalit represents the matriarchs, okay. That's just how we're gonna do it, huh? Sarah, Revka, Raquel, and Leah. It also represents the four created worlds as explained in Kabbalah. Azilut, Azilut being the world of emanation. This is the highest of the four spiritual worlds, the realm of spiritual existence, okay. Which, although encompassing attributes. Which have a specific definition is in a state of infinity and beyond, and at one with the infinite divine light. So it's like it has a, a it has an existence of its own, so to speak. But it's infinite, and it's still, you know, it's one with the Shem. It's you can't can't disconnect it. So this is emanation. Then you got Berea, it says this is literally creation, this is more specifically creation ex nihilo, like from nothingness. This is the second of the four spiritual worlds, the realm of spiritual existence, which represents the first beginnings of consciousness of self. This is kind of the beginning of, oh, who am I, as opposed to just being one with the Shem. Yet Zira. This is the world of formation from the word Yotzer. So then you got. Uh, Berea, by the way, comes from Bara, bore, like to create. Now you got Yotzer form. So now you got formation. This is the third realm of spiritual existence. And it says uh, in which the limited nature of created beings take on form and definition. So now you can can see what emanates from Hashem. And it says, this is the abode of the lower classes of angelic beings and the souls of ordinary Jews. Then you got Asiya, which is deed. This refers to the lowest of the four spiritual worlds, the final level in the creative process, which includes the physical universe. This is where we inhabit ASIA. Okay, so it says in addition, Dalit signifies the four basic elements fire, which is energy, air, which is gas, water, which is liquid, and earth, which is solid. Four also represents the holiday of Pesach. the four cups of wine, the four children, and the four questions. So, there's a whole lot here to do it. And when you look at the wisdom of the numbers, it says it is finding the place. It literally says it takes four to build a place around a central midpoint. You have to think, what is the central midpoint of four? You know, when you think about what we just talked about with Kabbalah and the, the energy and the gas, the liquid, the solid there's a central point and that is the word of Hashem like literally Hashem this is why Hashem's name has four letters to it you know this is why Mim, Sheen, Yod Chet, you know Mashiach four letters and so Hashem and Mashiach four letters four letters four places you know which are one centralized point all that so it says that in this context for a place is created and defined in the physical realm so this is why we're hidden in mashiach literally emphasis on the hidden because it's hard to see if you're hidden right so this is why sometimes people go i don't know how you're a jew and you believe in yeshua and like it's like yeah i'm hidden in mashiach manifesting the four worlds right here in front of you and they're like four worlds you're crazy don't know what you're talking about and it's just like well i would love to teach you sometime but uh for now this is all i can do anyway (laughs) so number four it says four corners of the world it says the circumstances of exile which is galus so galus When Israel is exiled from their home Denotes an unnatural state of affairs Another reason why Us praying for the redemption Is not crazy Because right now Everything that we're experiencing Is not natural We think this is natural This is not Okay. It says It mirrors the situation In which four directions of the physical world Have diverged From its central spiritual point This unfortunate situation is not destined to last. Hallelujah. Just as God redeemed the children of Israel from the Egyptian exile, so too will the Jewish people once again celebrate Geulah, redemption. Though dispersed to the ends of the world, those at the four directions will converge back to their homeland And gather us from the four corners of the world back to our land. There's a whole thing that G. Shekel did about Mashiach gathering us and us being gathered in through him. And you look at Yeshua's words where he says, Oh, Yerushalayim, how I long to gather you in like chicklets underneath her wings. You know, and so we know we'll be gathered in because... Hashem cares about us. He's like a mother coming for his children. And so, I know that kind of sounded probably weird because you're like, did you just call God a woman? It's like, no. Same thing Yeshua did. You know, he said, I long to gather you in like a mother gathers in her nursling, So, like, did Yeshua say he was a woman? I'm just saying, like, let's not go off the derrick here, you know. All right, so. Let's wrap this up. Right. Been talking and talking and talking. What? What is the point? Why am I even sharing anything? I'm sharing stuff because I want us to all be inspired and encouraged to get out of exile and to really take advantage of these three weeks that the strict judgment and justice that is above us and around us, that it's changing. And that the more teshuva we make and the more we do what we're supposed to do and engage the world and bring about the final redemption, the better it is. So why not be better? Okay, so the dalit uh, back over here with the wisdom of the Hebrew letters, is the symbol of dimensions and concern. I love it. So what I want to do here is go to one of these headings. Let's go to Chesed Hand with hand and heart. Cause you know, we need to make people be like, why are you why are you so nice to me? What's wrong with you? Why are you always smiling at me? Why are you always just smiling? What's wrong with you? Why are you always so helpful? We need these kind of complaints. Alright, so it says The Kotzker says It is not enough Merely to contribute money Be involved with all your heart In helping others Okay It says our rabbis and teachers Stressed Through homiletical interpretation And moral exhortation That every Jew Must seek ways to find what his less fortunate brother brethren need and provide it for them. Some examples as follow in commanding Israel not to neglect its needy, the Torah says you shall not close your hand against your destitute brother, Devarim fifteen seven. Rabbi Yisrael of Rizin explains the initials of this verse can be rearranged to form the acronym Tehillim Psalms. This teaches that it is not sufficient to only offer words of encouragement to the needy or merely to pray and recite psalms for them. He must include constructive action as the following verse states, but rather open wide your hand to him. On our one Friday night, the Chafetz Chaim deviated from the usual practice of singing Shalom Aleichem to welcome the Shabbat angels before the meal, and it says, "Hang on, I didn't flip the page on myself. All right." So instead, he rushed to recite Kiddush and to begin the meal. Only after the first course had been served and eaten did he return to the hymns that customarily precede the Kiddush. When asked later why he did so, Chafetz Chaim explained that one of his guests had arrived just before the Shabbat and had not had a chance to eat after his long, arduous journey. Satisfying the guest's needs comes first, explained the Chafetz Chaim. The angels are not in a hurry. They can wait to be greeted. Odzar HaChaim. That's pretty crazy. So, that's Chesed. A couple of things I just want to share on the way out here. Um, One of our fellow Lapidnik sent me this uh article to really look over and there are some really cool things that are just practical uh at the very very beginning so I'm nowhere near done with looking through this to make sure this is a kosher source but as far as this part here um this is a really just kind of like just think about what this means Okay, This is talking about Yeshua with the Talmud, the backdrop of the Brit Hadashah, the letters, Okay, all the besorah and all that. So it's going to town. It says, uh, let's see here. It says the Mishnah comes from the Hebrew word Lishnot, which means to study, or the discussions, the studies of rabbis concerning these laws especially the post-Temple Judaism. Many of these legal deliberations go back to the first century B.C. and are recorded from rabbis that believed in the time of Yeshua in the land of Israel during the first century A.D. We have records of rabbinical discussions on legal matters that belong to that period. That's the Mishnah. In the beginning of the 4th century, there was a collection made of material that rabbis discussed over the Mishnah. In other words, rabbis continue their discussions and trying to understand and come to a fuller implementation of the laws brought about in the Mishnah. This was done both in Babylon and in the land of Israel, producing two Talmuds. Talmud is the rabbinical deliberations over what Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi wrote in the Mishnah. The two sections of the Talmud are the Mishnah and the discussion over the Mishnah called Gemara or Gemara. Gemara in Aramaic dialect means to study. So you got Hebrew Talmud means to study and then you got Aramaic Gemara means to study. How about that? The Mishnah also means the study, but that's in Hebrew. And it's become attributed to earlier studies of the rabbis, which are called Tanaim. So if anyone's talking about Tanaim, they're speaking of Mishnah portions. And then it says the rabbis that were discussed in the Mishnah are called Tanaim. And the rabbis that are in the Gemara are called Amorim. Amoraim. Okay, so Tanaim and Amorim. Tanaim, Mishnah, Amorim, Gemara. Uh, the word Mishnah again comes from the word to study. And then you got the word Gemara, Aramaic for to study. So, therefore, the whole point and purpose of the codification of the Old Torah is to help us study, help us learn. Okay, so that was kind of cool when uh, that came up. And then this one, it says, um, now, what tools do we have that can help us see the world of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Jewish world of the first century? What tools do we have at our disposal to enable us to do this? First and foremost, what we what we have said earlier of the Tanakh which, by the way, in this article is referred to as Old Testament. So check this out. It says, this was the holy book that Yeshua used as the book that he read from a synagogue in Nazareth. He didn't call it the Old Testament, by the way, y'all. It says the book that he quoted over and over again in front of his opponents. The book the Apostle Paul says, All scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for reproof and correction and teaching and instruction. First Timothy 316. We find this statement of the apostle. It is the book that was the book that he used to show in the synagogues in Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth that the Messiah was to come. When Shaul went to teach, quoted from the Tanakh, from the Torah, that he was to suffer, he was to be buried, he was to be raised from the dead and sit at the right hand of God. He did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John at his disposal. He did not even have the letter to the Galatians since he hadn't written it yet. And he didn't have the book of Romans when he was going around Lystra and Perga and Iconium and Ephesus and Colossae and teaching both Yehudim and Goyim that Yeshua is the Messiah. What he had was the five books of Moshe and perhaps the prophets at his disposal, Torah and prophets. I just love that insight that was just so awesome just to think about that. And then. um, Let's see here. I just want to make sure I get the highlights. This is an insight from 17th of Tammuz. It says agonizing over these events. Is meant to help us conquer those spiritual deficiencies which brought about these tragic events through the process of teshuva self-introspection and commitment to improve we have the power to transform tragedy into joy in fact the talmud says that after the future redemption of israel and the rebuilding of the temple these fast days will be rededicated as days of rejoicing and festivity for as the prophet Zechariah says, the seventh of Tammuz will become a day of joy to the house of Yehuda and gladness and cheerfulness or and cheerful feast and I'll end with some Rabbi Trugman, a.k.a. Rabbi Tonka Trug. He was speaking on Parsha Korak, and he says, In our case as well, the urge to question God's righteousness and letting these infants die may be the result of our limited vision. This is in response to when Korach and his people perished, there were lots of infants that uh, were eaten up by the earth because it was Korak and his whole household Dathan and aviram their household and the 250 and those who rebelled with them so you got a lot of like youth and young children and babies and this is like this is hard to swallow you know and it's just like wait i was cool with Korak obviously getting justice even though i'm not excited about him getting justice but at the same time whoa like there were so many more other casualties in this, and what did they do to deserve this? Right. So this is what he's speaking on. So he says, so this may be the result of our limited vision, for we we are unaware of all the other factors that only God can account for. This quandary led the Baal Shem Tov to declare that after one has amassed wisdom and knowledge, and even explored the deepest Kabbalistic mysteries, one should still choose simple faith above all else. This type of trust in God's divine providence has been negatively derided as just simple faith. Yet, when confronted by life's complexities, inherent paradoxes, and perplexing dilemmas. This approach allows us to penetrate the surface of reality by relying on this deep understanding of God's omniscience. Yeah, so I was asked, you know, how come the prohibition of not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not a part of 613 commandments? And I said, because it is the 613 commandments, because if you don't eat from the 613 commandments, you have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is why people say, I'll do this principle, but I won't do that. You know, all the Levitical laws are done away with and we don't have to do that anymore. Shabbat can be whenever we want it to be. That's because you've broken eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the Torah is called the tree of life, so you should partake of it and eat its fruit. To which the original Midrash says, had we eaten from the tree of life first, then the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would have had no effect on us. For those of us who have accepted the Torah, not save Nishma completely, and we don't nullify, we don't seek to push anything away, we want to do it all, and we're just here for Hashem. The, the whole fact of This is evil I don't like this commandment And all that Quite frankly Is null and void Mashiach has redeemed us From the curse Because we are partaking From the tree of life And i.e. the tree Of the knowledge of good and evil And its death Have no sway over us So We need to definitely Stay true and cling to Hashem Because you who cling to Hashem Are alive today Um what else? I mean, I have to share this. Uh, what was this from? This was from the Daily daily Wisdom on the Parsha. This was talking about... Uh, where did I put it? I know I took a picture of it because I was just like, What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is uh, Korach's signs did not die Bami Bar 2611, and uh, this is what it says from Lakute Siko volume 33. It says, had they acted upon their regret, they would have been spared even this lesser punishment. Their survival shows us the tremendous power of repentance. Even when it is not acted upon as it should be this insight should quiet any doubts that we have about the response or about the possibility of redemption in our times even merely thinking about repenting is sufficient to bring about the final redemption especially when this is added to the merits that we have accrued throughout our long exile the torah we have studied the commandments we have performed and the martyrdom we have suffered Likute Sikot, volume 33, page 170, FF. Literally, it just says that if we see the tremendous power of teshuva, it should quiet any doubts that we have about the possibility of redemption in our times. Merely thinking about repenting is sufficient to bring about the final redemption. HaKadosh Baruch Help us to think Help us to cry out We yearn for your return Rebuild Yerushalayim Grant us to be gathered in To our new home In Mashiach Yeshua The new Yerushalayim Amen ve'amen Baruch Abba B'shem Adonai Baruch Atah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Ve'kaye Olam Natabatokenu Barucha Donai No Tain Hatora.